Hi, this is Dave Kale. Are you too comfortable in business to be effective in the kingdom? Well, see if this uh, real-life example doesn't sound familiar. The owners of an automobile dealership were regular churchgoers and considered themselves to be pious Christians. However, the sales process they used in the business was designed to be manipulative and had, had several small lies built into it. Now, the owners never saw this as a contradiction, believing that Christianity was one thing and business was something else. See, they compartmentalized their Christianity to encompass uh, what they did around the programs and activities of their local institutional church and they saw their business as outside of that. Their Christianity, they followed the local pastor. In business, they incorporated the best practices of the world. Now, this approach provided there was some benefits. You know, they ran a financially successful business, and they were comfortable with that. They were active in their local congregations, and they enjoyed some respect in that. In short... Their approach to business and the kingdom fit their lifestyle, and they're comfortable with both sides of that. However, that sounds acceptable until we take a little closer look. Peeling back the superficial uncovers a significant problem. It is not what has happened that is the problem. It is what has not happened that could have and should have. Had they built Christian principles instead of worldly values into their sales process, thousands of customers would have seen what it was like to deal with an organization grounded in love and expressing itself in honesty and integrity. Those customers would have been touched by a subtle witness of what it means to be a Christian. But unfortunately, they were not. Had they built Christian principles instead of worldly values into their business, hundreds of employees would have seen that Christ is real and involved in the business and would have witnessed that impact on the lives of the owners and actions of the principles. They would have seen acts of love and times of prayer. Christ would have become real to, the, to their employees, and many would have been attracted to the peace and hope they saw in their bosses. Unfortunately, they did not. Had they been guided by the Holy Spirit in all their business decisions, the business's reputation in the locality would have gradually developed so that their Christian witness would have grown and impacted their colleagues, their vendors, and their neighbors. Instead of the message portrayed by the media that Christianity is for the uneducated, ignorant people, they would have seen living proof of just the opposite. Unfortunately, they did not. Had they focused on building a business that had impact for the kingdom, they would have gained visibility and influence in their industry among their colleagues. At the national associations, they would have been asked to be on the committees that made recommendations and decisions. They would have been asked to sit on the panels at the national meetings. They would have been given opportunities to be a model and a witness to the power of Christ in their business. Their influence would have spread nationally within their industry. But... Unfortunately, they did not. Had they seen their business as an extension of the kingdom in their own anointed ministry, 
The owners would look forward to that day when they met Christ, and he may say to them, quote, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the business that I created and put in your hands to manage. You have multiplied its impact and used it to extend my kingdom. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. End quote. All this could and should have come to pass if the owners had seen their business as a ministry, an integral part of the Christian walk, instead of something separate and apart from it. While this is incredibly sad for this one business, when you consider the impact of this separation of business from the kingdom across all the similar businesses over time and around the world, the thought becomes staggering. It's almost incomprehensible. Surely, millions of people would have come to know a blessed relationship with Christ and never did because the owners compartmentalized Christianity and business. In a lost world populated with people looking for a solution for their pain and problems, they remained silent and aloof. The world today would be a vastly different place if Christian business people hadn't sat on the sidelines. This truly must be one of Satan's greatest accomplishments. Getting Christian, sale, getting Christian people to sit on the sidelines. While their owners, the owners of the example I'm giving you, while they enjoyed their comfortable lifestyle and their false sense of piety, they unwittingly helped to propagate one of the greatest failures in Christianity. And in so doing, they contributed to a lie that has withheld Christ from untold millions of people. The lie that they have helped propagate is this. Christianity is one thing and business is something else. That is a lie. Now, unfortunately, uh, the underlying cause is, you know, the effective work of our adversary, Satan. We're warned about it. Ephesians 6, 11, 12, Jesus said, Paul said, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So on one level, at the core level, this lie is propagated, developed, propagated by Satan. On another level, the religious establishment has long promoted the separation of sacred and secular, and it bears much of the blame. And at the same time, to the purveyors of earthly, worldly wisdom, business wisdom that holds money and success are the highest good, they have also influenced millions of Christmas, uh, Christian business people. Let's just take a minute and look at each of these factors that contribute to this dismal situation. Number one, let's look at the practices and pronouncements of the religious establishment. The institutional church system, that is the global assemblage of pastors, church buildings, denominations, seminaries, etc. Ultimately, 
must be held responsible for the inception and the propagation of this lie. In my book, quote, is the institutional church really the church? I note that the system has spent over $540 billion, that's a, with a B, billion dollars on itself over the past several decades and has overseen the decline in the percentage of Christians in this country. It has failed to make a measurable change in the lives of its adherents, and it has turned off and chased away a great percentage of the population, and it has instilled such antipathy in young people that the vast majority of them leave the system as adults. That's, that's a mouthful. Let me repeat it. In the, in the last couple decades, the institutional church system has spent over $540 billion on itself and in so doing has overseen the decline in the percentage of Christians in the United States, has failed to make a measurable change in the lives of its adherents, has turned off and chased away a great percentage of the population, and has instilled such antipathy in young people that many of them leave the system as adults. Like all institutions, it's more concerned with the survival and expansion of itself than it is with its stated mission. So in order to glue its adherence more closely to itself, it's put forth a number of false ideas. The one most appropriate for this discussion is this, the false idea. There's something special about the institutional church and its employees. You, you, you know that because they, the institutional church has proclaimed that both overtly and subtly. You know, church buildings are often referred to as God's house. And the people who work in those buildings are often referred to as clergy to distinguish them from us common folks, the laity. More, more modern denominations substitute pastor and minister as more palatable views of clergy. In other words, those things related to the institutional church system are somehow special. They're sacred, quote, unquote, and everything else is ordinary or secular. This, of course, is a historical creation of men wanting to solidify their positions and shore up their institutions and is nowhere found in the Bible. God is not contained in a place, and the Bible knows of no special class of Christians. It teaches just the opposite, that we are all priests and ministers. Here's 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are all a royal priesthood. Now this is this strategy of making yourself feel special or projecting that is perfectly understandable strategy and it's worked for generations. If you want people to give you their money and their time, teach them that you're special and important. And while this may have been an effective strategy to ensure the survival of the institution, the unintended consequences have been enormous. When you claim that something is special, for example, what are you saying about everything else? Well, it's non-special. In other words, it's mediocre or ordinary. So when they say they're special, that says we are mediocre and ordinary. 
when you claim that something is important, what are you asserting about everything else? That is unimportant and of little consequence. When you claim that some building people or programs are sacred, what are you indicating about everything else? That it's of no lasting value. So it's no wonder then that business people just naturally come to the conclusion that their businesses are ordinary, unimportant, and secular. It's easy to believe that, since all the important spiritual stuff happens within the confines of the institutional church. Nothing spiritually important can happen in their business. And, you know, once again, this is exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all work is sacred. I'm going to quote Colossians 4 and 23. Whatever you do, work at with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Now, because of the lie that there's something special about the institutional church, because that lie is so common, the vast majority of Christian business people have never thought to question it. It's just part of the Christian culture. So the idea that there's something sacred and special about church continues to live on, despite the clear and contrary teachings of the Bible. Well, and then, so, so again, the two main factors contributing to this lie is the teachings and the practices of the institutional church, and secondly, the emphasis of the world's business culture. Let's talk about the second part, the emphasis of the world's business culture. The world's business culture promotes the idea that a business is primarily, if not exclusively, about making money. The most deceptive ideas always contain a grain of truth, and this one does, too. Business is about making money, but it is not just about making money. From a worldly perspective, businesses are formed to provide for the economic security of the folks who own and work in that business. Since food and shelter are basic needs of business, to be viable must meet those needs. And it does that by providing goods and services for money. Money then becomes one of the keys to any business. The business that doesn't create sufficient income is not going to stay in business for long. The problem arises when the business people focus solely on money as the rationale for the business. When they do that, they miss all the other incredible benefits that accrue to themselves and their employees, their families, their customers, and to, and to society in general. You know, a business doesn't necessarily have to create profits but it does need to be sustainable. In other words, money is important. It's a core reason for starting a business, but profits aren't nearly as important as sustainability, and profits aren't just for the purpose of buying the business owner a better car or bigger home. As we saw in the parable of the bags of gold, reinvesting in the growth of the business is a blessed biblical strategy. Profits fund and empower growth. Unfortunately, our popular culture promotes a distorted picture of the purpose of a business. The media glorifies the self-made millionaire. Wall Street awards huge bonuses for those who, who reach revenue goals. CEOs are awarded obscene bonuses for achieving quarterly results and 
publicly held companies. The emphasis on making money has never been more pronounced or glorified, and it is thus easy for the business person to react to the popular culture and define the success of a business solely in monetary terms. When we believe the idea of business is just about money, we never see the powerful entity for good that a biblical business could be because we never look for it. We need to take that idea that business is just about money and pry it off and discard it in the trash. The ultimate responsibility, though, in addition to these two primary causes, the ultimate responsibility is the practice of compartmentalized business and Christianity, and that proceeds from the minds and hearts of millions of individual Christian business people. You may be one. These, these folks are comfortable in their lifestyle, and they're, they're afraid to risk their material trappings for a greater impact for the kingdom. At some level, they are aware of the risk of actually questioning the status quo. They're so secure in their lifestyle, they see no reason to question the values promoted by the religious establishment and the world's economic system. And so they sit on the sidelines of the great struggle which describes an active role in the kingdom. Like a star player who has lost his motivations, they sit on the bench while the action takes place takes part on a different part of the court. They're comfortable and unengaged. Well, if you see uh, some of yourself in this situation, then it's time to step out of your comfort zone and begin to move to greater engagement in the fray. It doesn't matter what the religious establishment proclaims. It doesn't matter what the world system pressures you to do. The only thing that matters is you and your relationship to God and what he wants you to do. Your decision to stretch out of your comfort zones and to begin to pursue the reality that your business is your ministry, if you pursue that with dedication and perseverance, will prove to be one of the biggest decisions of your life. The impact will be enormous. Now, here's a sample of what others have reported from the impact of that decision. Number one, a personal sense of freedom and clarity. It's like coming out from under a deep fog. I saw things about Christ and Christianity I'd never seen before. That from several people. Number two, it provides a deeper sense of purpose. So now your purpose is larger than it used to be. Not only do you have the purpose in common with every other Christian, and that is to know and serve God, but you have a very specific expression of that. Now you see yourself as the shepherd of your business with all the responsibilities that come with that. Now, it is fulfilling at a level you may never have approached. Number three, it brings you a closer relationship with God. From the very beginning of creation, God has ordained business and work as the place in which he would engage with his creation. You find lots of opportunities to grow closer to him that you do not have recognized before. Number four, it's a powerful impact on your family. When you are in sync with God's will, you'll find that he blesses you in multiple ways. 
You become like a stone thrown into the pond, and the ripples of blessing will encompass wide paths in your life, including your family. You'll grow as a leader. You'll shape your character. You'll increase your personal competency. That's number five. Number six, you have a greater impact on the community uh, that your business touches. While your business may never be a Chick-fil-A with impact in communities around the world, you will be a light to the world that your business serves and touches. Someone in the world that your business influences, or maybe hundreds of thousands of people, are looking for something they can believe in. You'll be a model. You'll be a model to attract some of them. And number seven on my list of uh, impacts, you, you'll get recognition for excellence. Because you'll implement, implement the God's, God's wisdom and direction in your business, you'll eventually create excellence in what you do. The world around you will recognize that, and you'll gain influence with them. Man, the benefits far extend way beyond just these few that I've mentioned. You'll find that it will be one of the biggest and most impactful and fulfilling decisions of your life. So if you decided, if you want to decide to take on your business as a ministry, then here's some steps in the journey. Number one, begin with repentance and prayer. Who you have been is no indication of who you could become. Let God know you want to change your thinking and engage in bigger ways in the kingdom. Bring him into the situation with intentional prayer. Pray with the expectation God will, will answer you. He will direct you in the way that you should go. Then as you pray, you become more sensitive to his leading, both in the circumstances around you and the people you encounter and in the insights that he gives you. That's number one. Number two. Feed that small voice of the Spirit within you. Begin to expose yourselves to thinkers, authors, and speakers who articulate the principles and practices of a true Christian business. You'll never break out of a comfortable situation as long as you limit your impact and your input to the sermons of your local pastor. There's a whole world of thinkers and writers who can nudge you in the direction of a holistic approach to business and Christianity. There are dozens of books written on the subject and a like number of blogs and websites that will feed your spirit. Check out my own uh, Building Biblical Businesses newsletter and you may want to consider the Biblical Business course which methodically takes you through a series of steps to help you transform your business into a powerful kingdom entity. And these podcasts, Christian Business Insight podcasts, are another option. So that's number two. Number three, surround yourself with like-minded Christian business people. There are Christian business people in your community who are challenging the sacred-secular divide in practical and purposeful ways. You'll find it incredibly encouraging to rub shoulders with them. Find a group to belong to who will build you up and hold you accountable. Almost every city has a local group or local groups. There are several national organizations that provide this environment. Check out C12, check out Convene, check out Truth at Work, check out my own CBIG groups. 
Next, begin to implement Christian practices and principles in your business. In other words, there comes a time to do something, to act. At some point, you'll need to change what you do. Now is the time to take the first step. Implementing Christian practices and principles in your business is a necessary first step. But it's only a first step. There's a whole world of practices which mark the degree to which a business is influenced and directed by God. You can check out our Biblical Business Self-Assessment. That's a free download that will help you see the spiritual impact of your business more objectively and, and help you chart a path to realizing the spiritual potential of your business. You'll eventually confront your practices and attitudes and all sorts of practices. You know, pricing, your approach to debt, the business culture, how and who you hire, goal setting, planning, etc. You know, in every one of these business practices, you'll eventually confront them and turn them into a more biblically aligned process. You'll discover that every decision can and should be colored by your relationship with God. Now, the impact of your commitment will extend to those around you. Your family will be blessed. Your business will grow in its impact, and you will grow closer to God. There is a whole world of personal spiritual growth and kingdom impact available to you when you decide to accept the idea that your business is your ministry and you begin to pursue that vision. You know, the separation of business from the kingdom has been one of the most dramatic errors of modern Christianity. It has caused millions of people to be lost and Christ denied and ignored across geographies and generations. It's time to accept our responsibility to change that. Okay, that's it. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Dave again. Just want to take a second and really encourage you, uh, if you haven't already, to uh, pick up a copy of The Good Book on Business. The Good Book on Business. You can get it at uh, thegoodbookonbusiness.com or Amazon, you know, or wherever books are sold. You can ask for The Good Book on Business. Why am I recommending it? Because there is a world of impact, of a, a, of a impact for the kingdom that a Christian business is designed to have that most Christian business people never ever uh, come into contact with and because they don't they don't see what it is that God would like for their businesses they don't pursue the Christian ministry section or, or part of their business so this whole world of impact and, and uh, opportunity for a Christian business never gets realized because people don't understand the power, the potential power of their business. Man, go get this book. You know, it's 13 or 14 bucks, you know, less than lunch. Go get the book and expose yourself to it, okay? All right, bye-bye.